And good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to installment number seven of our series entitled The Life of Jesus in Chronological Order. So far, we've gone of the 154 events we are planning to cover during the series. We've gone through 67 of them. Today, we will work with events 68 through 81. too early yeah so in our last session uh, we finished the events that was recorded during Christ Jesus's second year of ministry and during this time we see that his population has grown immensely but also during this time we see that his enemies have grown considerably as well and let's just talk about that part for a moment The Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted to kill him. His own disciples, after hearing what he had to say and what what was considered demands of his teaching, some of them decided to leave. We know that most of the teaching that he had done at this time and the signs that he had performed at this time was in the northern part of the region of the country, if you will, with occasional visits to Jerusalem and during the uh, key festivals, if you will. The apostles have now been chosen, the 12 of them, and they are performing their own ministry in that same area, in the northern area as well. So as he enters the third year of his ministry, we will, he will uh, make more appearances in and around Jerusalem. And he's doing this for the purpose of this, to declare who he is as a person and to also... Uh, to declare his purpose for coming. So would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for a Savior such as Christ Jesus, who was not just willing to suffer and die for our sins, but Father, to to actually come here and, and establish some parameters for following him. And Father, we thank you for that. And Father, as we venture into this lesson and continue in this series, Father, may we look for ways that we can use this material, Father, to help us, not only in our walk of faith, but also, Father, to help us as we go into the world, evangelizing the world, telling them about the gospel, telling them about you, telling them about our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for all of those that are here today. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So I want to take this opportunity to welcome everyone here that's here in person as well as online. So we we begin this next section of the events to strive at his ministry. And we're going to be working now from the third Passover to the, uh, the last Passover week. So we start with event number 68. Uh, we see that's titled Healing in the Gennesaret Area. So our our last event found our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus in the synagogue at Capernaum. And Gennesaret, Gennesaret, I should say, is south of Capernaum. Uh, So Mark says that many were healed simply by touching the fringe of his cloak. Now what we have to think about here is just right here. Christ Jesus, being a male Jew, being a devout male Jew, he, um, he, he wore his robe, yes, but he had four tassels at each corner. They were, um, they were blue. And uh, 
what they were talking about here was these individuals were reaching out to touch that tassel so that they would be healed. Event 69. Now we start questioning. Remember we were saying before that the Pharisees and the, and, and, and the strives and, and everything, they were looking for ways to accuse him. Any little thing that they saw the apostles or disciples do, they were ready, ready to confront Christ Jesus about it. So as we turn to this event here, we, found that, uh, we find that Christ Jesus had been very successful in Genesaret. He had been very successful, but again, he was interrupted by the Pharisees who, who had come to Jerusalem, and they came to observe him. They came to observe him because they were looking for a reason to confront him about something to take place because they were striving to decredit, discredit rather the work that he was done doing. Now, one of their accusations was that his disciples violated the tradition of the elders, tradition of the elders. Today, when you hear something like that, let's say if we say uh, this congregation had a tradition of the elders, what would come to mind? Today, if we said that the, the, this congregation had the tradition of the elders, what would come to mind? Yes. Okay, but what about the traditions of the elders? Okay. What's that? That's pretty close. But in this particular case, they were doing something contrary to the word of God. So if Tony and I had the tradition of the elders, we would be striving to do something contrary to the word of God. Because since God's word is clear, God's word is plain, we shouldn't say, okay, we got God's word, and then we got Tony and James traditions. <laughs> so, so, and so that's what he was bringing to their attention right here. Uh, he had violated not the word of God. He had violated the tradition of the elders by not observing the ritualistic washing of their hands before eating. Now, a long time ago, I was doing some study about uh, washing of hands and so forth. And, I, and one of the things that, that was used in this information I was reading was that those with, and when Christ Jesus was at Cana and he turned that water into wine, the, the containers or the jugs that he used were the same jugs that they used to place water in for the ritualistic washing. So, so I'm sure that didn't, that, that didn't endear him to them as well. So the tradition of the elders then revert, referred to a body of rules and regulations created by the strives into basically that dictated how the law was to be applied. For example, the law forbade work on, forbade, I should say, work on the Sabbath. The strives in this regard created over 100 definitions of what it meant to work on the Sabbath, what it meant to take leisure on the Sabbath. And again, they did this in order to guide the Jews in keeping that command. Uh, I was doing some study a long time ago, and I found that a Sabbath day's journey was basically three-quarters of a mile from your residence, right? And I came across something. I don't know how accurate this is, but it said that for the uh, smart Jews, if you will, they would place 
about three quarters of a mile from their normal residence, they would place a, a supply of food. That way they could travel to that spot and say, well, I'm in my domicile because my food is here, and then they can travel a little bit farther. I don't know how accurate that is. It was just something that this person came up with. So Jesus replied that these things were no more than human, uh, rather man-made rules that had no authority from God and thus no authority over man. And Jesus went on to show this right here. He went on to show that it is not dirty hands that defile the soul of a man, but rather those things that come from the mouth, because those things that come from the mouth come from the heart. And Christ Jesus was letting them know it is not the dirt on the hands, but the dirt on the heart that is defiled in the soul of man. So, of course, when he brought this up, <laughs> this infuriated the Pharisees. It infuriated them because he had not only discredited their source of authority, the tradition of the elders, but he even did something different. He waved away food restrictions to which the Jews held so dearly. So what we find is this right here in restricting the types of food uh, or rather, restricting the types of food was a way of distinguishing the people as separate from other nations, but also in marked them as God's chosen people. But from now on, he is saying this right here. He is saying that their faith in Christ separates them from other nations. He's saying that their faith in Christ marks them as God's chosen people. And when we look at that for us today, he's saying the same thing. Our faith in Christ separates us from other nations. Our faith in Christ marks us as God's chosen people. Event number 70. So about this time, things are starting to get a little heated, if you will, in that area. So this break with Jewish traditions, it was sure to cause even more hatred among those, those Pharisees and scribes and the Jewish religious leaders. So Jesus heads further north to the Gentiles, which we talked about that a few weeks ago, where he said eventually this message will go to the Gentiles. So he's now taking the message to the Gentile territory. And here he meets a uh, Syrophoenician woman who is a Gentile, and who asked him to heal her daughter. Now, what Christ Jesus said next, some might consider like, wow, that's pretty mean. So what we find is that Jesus using the expressions of that day, he tells her that he has come to feed the children and not their pets. He's like, wow, that's pretty nasty. But this is what many Jews in those days thought about the Gentiles that they were friendly with. They looked at them as their pets. So if they, if they looked at the ones that they were friendly with and thought of them as their pets, what did they think of those they weren't too friendly with? That is something to think about. But here's the point. The woman recognizing the analogy that Christ Jesus was using and without diminishing the role and privilege of the Jews says that even pets get a little of the leftovers after the children have eaten and she would gladly accept that in this woman Jesus finds not only faith but he also finds a woman of humility perseverance 
and courage. So what does he do? He rewards her by healing her child without even seeing her child. Event 71. Jesus is now ministering in Decapolis. Now Decapolis is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had healed, if you remember a while back, there was a uh, uh, demoniac man that he healed and then he sent him away to spread the news in that region. In that region that this man came from, there's about 10 cities there. So this man had a job on his hands. So Jesus now returns to that area and he heals a man who is deaf and a great multitude assembled to hear his preaching and his teaching. And again, this is the result of this man that he had healed, that had the demon in him, that he had healed, and he sent him away to tell what had happened to him. So Jesus not only teaches them, but he also performs the uh, miracle of the multiplication of the fish and the bread. And this is the second time that he'd done this. You remember last week or the week before, we talked about him feeding 5,000 with a few, with a little bread and a little fish, and now he's doing it with 4,000. This is the second time that he's done this. Event 70, why did you do that? Event 72, Jesus is confronted by, again by the Pharisees. They don't give up. These individuals do not give up. So Jesus finishes in the area of Decapolis, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. And once there, the Pharisees are ready with another attack. And this time they challenge him by asking him for a sign from heaven. All this time, We've been talking about how Jesus has been performing miracles and healing and things like that. But here they come saying, we want a sign from heaven. Their point is that this miracle, that the miracles he has done so far were not spectacular enough. They wanted spectacular stuff. They wanted an Old Testament miracle where, let's say, the sun stood still for a moment. or, Or maybe fire and brimstone came down from the sky. But Christ Jesus rebukes them for their blindness in that they can tell what the, how the weather is going to change by looking at the sky, but they can't even interpret all the signs that Christ Jesus has given them about who he is and about his legitimacy. So what he does is this. He refuses to give them such a sign. And he refers them to the story of Jonah. Now, last week, I remember we, we talked about Jonah for a moment, and we mentioned that it's, it's possible that was a cryptic way of Christ Jesus talking about his death and his resurrection. So he refers them to the story. He refers them to the story of Jonah and tells them that this will be the definitive sign that he is the Messiah that he has sent from God. Now, remember, Jonah was in the, uh, in the belly of the great fish three days, and he survived. Christ Jesus in the tomb three days and resurrected. Now, one thing I need to allude to here is this right here. Sometimes we hear the term three days. We think 72 hours, you know, because they're 24 hours in a day. But Christ Jesus was not in the tomb 72 hours. He was in the tomb a portion of three days, that Friday, that Saturday, and that Sunday. So still, he was in the tomb three days. So the resurrection will be a sign for everyone. 
including them, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one sent from God, which takes us to 73. Discussion with the apostles in the boat. Now, as we remember, we've now sending the apostles out to do their own ministry, right? So the apostles have been traveling, but they've also been traveling with him. So they've been traveling with him throughout all of this these events that have been taking place and they've seen all the confrontations that he's had with the pharisees they've seen all the miracles they've seen the feeding of the four thousand they've seen the feeding of the five thousand now they were once again crossing the sea of galilee and jesus tries to warn them concerning the pharisees and their hypocrisy now the reason for this is that the apostles will also have to deal with these people in their ministry and it's a sense he's given us an example, too, because even today we have to deal with, with this type of adversity. So Jesus uses a figure of speech that they don't understand. Leaven of the Pharisees. And he explains that the Pharisees' false ideas that they were spreading, that they had introduced as doctrine from God, that these false ideas had taken such hold that the people accepted what they were saying as law, rather than looking at what the word of God says. You know, God even tells us in his word, we need to be like the Bereans. We need to search the scriptures daily so that we would know. It's great we have a great preacher here <laughs> that can preach the lights out, but I'm, I, God has let us know, Tony is not going to be giving us everything we need. We need to get into the word of God ourselves and make sure that what Tony is saying is, is accurate. What, make sure what James is saying is accurate. Stephen is going to be preaching in a few minutes. What he's saying is accurate. It's not about how uh, charismatic, charismatic anyone is. It's rather not what's being preached and taught is the word of God. So the apostles hit this particular point. They kind of got the mindset that he's scolding them because they forgot to bring some of the leftover from their major feeding. And in this, he shows them how unsophisticated they are. In this, he shows them how hard-hearted they were. And he also shows them that they were not prepared. They were not prepared, or rather they were no match to the Pharisees. Now, every one of us in here have gone through yeah, there are no children in here. So every one of us in here have gone through that stage where we've gone and come out of the waters of baptism. And some of us have probably heard how when we uh, individuals come out of the waters of baptism, they're red hot, they're on fire, and they want to go out there and take on the world. Are they prepared? Were we prepared? Were we prepared? No, we weren't. We were not. And when we tried to do that, we became depressed. We became discouraged because the person we went out there with all of this, they, they ate us up. It was like that age old saying, we were going to a gunfight with a knife, and we were not prepared to win. Event, 70, event 74, Jesus heals a blind man. So upon arriving on the other side, the people bring him a blind man for him to cure and he does so, but he does it in stages in this particular time. He, he could have just said, you're healed, but instead he does it in stages. Stage one, he first puts saliva on his eyes, and then he lays his hands on him. This was probably done, and I say probably done, to help his faith develop in stages as well. First, the saliva to know that 
Christ Jesus was actually doing something for him. And then the complete healing, which he realizes it was Christ Jesus who gave him his sight. Event 75. Peter's this confession. Jesus at this particular time, by the time we get here, he had been challenged by the Pharisees. He has debated with them about what he was doing and who he is. He was still training and preparing his apostles to carry on their ministry. After all that had happened, at this particular point, he tested them to see if they remained convinced of his identity. Because he knew this, without this certainty, they would not be able to withstand what was to come to uh, happen with them in Jerusalem in the next in the not too distant future. So Jesus asked them a million dollar question. He asked them their assessment of him. And I love Peter. Peter steps up and talk, man. Peter steps up. Peter steps up and and he answers for the group. And he's in, in, ask, in answering, he says to Christ Jesus, basically it's the Son of God, the Messiah sent from God. He's confessing Christ Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Now, I need to back up just a moment. Sometimes when we read this text and we, we do a little bit of study and we know Peter, Petros means stone. Sometimes we think that because Christ Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church. Sometimes people thinking that Christ Jesus is talking about Peter. But he's not. He's talking about the confession that was made, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is sent from God. Okay? So we have to keep that in mind there. It's not about Peter. Because of this, there are people who have actually said, and I've talked to them, and they've got told me in no uncertain terms and with all the certainty in the world, he said, Peter was the first pope. (laughs) And that's not in the Bible, bro. That is not in the Bible. So now Jesus wants them to be reassured of this, that he, but he is not, he is not prepared for them to confess this quite yet. He knows that this needs to come after his death and his resurrection. So we go to event 76. Now Jesus is really getting down to the nitty gritty. He's now tells them about his death and his resurrection. So now that they have confessed their belief that he is that he is truly Jesus, the son of God, they have his true identity. Jesus can further teach them of the purposes of ministry. Now, if I ask this million dollar question, everybody, I know you're going to throw it out there at me. What is the purpose of Jesus ministry? To forgive man of their sins. To bring us closer to God because we've been separated because of sin. To destroy the devil's work. All right. All of those are good. And to die and be resurrected according to the word. And that's important because of this right here. He could have come and did all of those other things we just mentioned. But the only way it would have worked is he died and is resurrected according to the word of God. So this is the first time that 
he tells them this, and they're in shock. They're in shock. So much so that I love Peter. He steps up again, and he tries to talk Jesus out of doing this. Now, there's speculation on why he's doing this, you know. He could be trying to protect his vision of what the Messiah should and shouldn't do. Yeah. He could be God in his own place as an apostle. I like like that part because it's right here. Okay, if I'm an apostle, but if I'm an apostle of a dead Messiah, what's the big deal? Us today as disciples, we are disciples of Christ, but we are disciples of a dead Messiah. What's the big deal? We are disciples of a living Messiah. Remember, we read in the text, the tomb was found empty. It was empty because he got up and walked out. The stone was rolled away and he got up and walked out. We serve a risen Savior, not a dead one. We are disciples of a risen Savior, not a dead one. We are followers of a risen Savior, not a dead one. So Jesus rebukes Peter sharply for his very human and his very selfish motives. So next we go to the transfiguration. Peter gets a chance to speak again in a moment. So after the first prophecy of his death and his resurrection, he takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and is transfigured to his glorious state. So Luke says that he discusses his coming death with Moses and with Elijah. And Peter, like I said, you got to love him. Again, Peter responds foolishly by wanting to make boots or tents for each of them that would house them so that they can stay on the mountain in this state. But God speaks. And God speaks here in stages, if you will. We've been talking about God doing things in stages. God speaks in stages again right here. He say, and this is stage one, he says this, this is my beloved son. Stage two in whom I am well pleased. Stage three, listen to him. Or as it says in uh, O King James, hear ye him. The point here is that Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Remember when Christ Jesus went to John the baptizer, wanted to be baptized, and John the baptizer was, was basically trying to refuse him and talk him out of it. But Christ Jesus said, permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Thus it is fitting to fulfill all the law and the prophets. So God wants the people to listen to Jesus. Why? Because he fulfills all the law. He fulfills all the prophets in doing so. Event 78. Uh, we find Jesus casting out a demon that the apostles could not cast out. Now, remember, he was on the mountain with uh, Peter, James, and John. And when they return, they join the other apostles. And when they get there, they find that they, those apostles are, are embroiled in an argument with the strives over a healing that they were not able to do. So what Jesus does, first he goes, goes ahead and he casts the demon out of the boy. And he rebukes the apostles for their lack of faith, for their lack of prayer. He's explaining something to them. Up to this point, you have had the power to do this. But you can't do it now. 
What have you forgotten? Is it your faith you have forgotten? Is you forgotten? Is your prayer? Is you forgot? Are you trying to give honor to yourselves rather than give honor to God? What is going on here? The argument with the Pharisees suggests that they wanted to impress those those strives and Pharisees rather than honor God, praise God, glorify God. And we can be that way today as well. What I think, though, is this is just James' thought. There's a difference between saying thank you and you're welcome than saying I did this all on my own. When we, when we read in, in uh, Philippians, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say I can do all things without their help. So what, I, what I'm hoping we all learn to do is when we do something to help somebody and the person say thank you, I'm hoping that person has already thanked God for sending you there to help them and thank you for showing up to help them. And all you have to do is say you're welcome. We don't have to get into a, a, um, a long drawn out discussion about God deserves just that, 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 and that. I know that. <laughs> I'm just saying thank you for you coming to help because he sent you. You could have been like Jonah. He sent you to help me and you could have ran in the other direction. But instead he sent you to help me and you came and helped me. I thank God for him sending you and I thank you for coming and doing it. All you need to do is say is I'm welcome. Instead of giving the person a, almost like chastising them for saying thank you. And we have to be careful with that. Event 79. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection a second time. So between the first and second times, Jesus foretells his his impending death. A lot of things has happened. He's performing tremendous miracles. He is... Man, not only that, he's shown all sorts of signs that that have been taking place during this time. And all this is taking place still while he's in the northern region. They're in the northern region, but they're a little bit farther south. They're a little bit farther west. So after he casts out the demon, Jesus mentions again that he will eventually be killed. And this time, this time he has the idea that he will be betrayed. Strange thing happened. After this, they stopped asking these questions because they weren't too happy about the answers they were getting. It's almost like they were in denial. No, he can't die. No, he can't die. No, he can't die. They missed the point about the resurrection. They're just thinking, no, he can't die. No, he can't die. No, he can't die. That'll mess up everything. But they forget he will die and live. He will be resurrected. Event number 80. Money from fish. So each male, 20 and older, had to pay a temple tax. Not to do so was an act of apostasy. Basically, you're just leaving the church. You're just leaving. Jesus claimed 
exemption because he was the son of the father and the temple belonged to the father. So why am I paying tax? But not to cause any stumbling, he miraculously makes a coin appear in the mouth of a fish that Peter catches and he pays the temple tax for himself and Peter. Now the question, why do you suppose he didn't pay it for the other apostles as well? Any thoughts on that? I mean, was he showing partiality just by paying for himself and Peter? Any thoughts? Hmm. Well, there's some speculation out there. And the speculation is that since Jesus only paid for himself and Peter, the other apostles were under the age of 20 at that time. And this could make sense. Why? Because remember when we started this, this series off, the average age at that particular time, the life, average ex- life expectancy at that particular time was between 50 and 55. So we know that Peter was old when he died. Peter died around 63, 64. So he was, he, and he was considered old. We know that John was very old when he died. Uh, he died around 80, 100. He was around somewhere between uh, 80 and 90 years old. So that would make sense going back to the first century. Okay, so event number 81. There's the discussion of who is the greatest. So a dispute arises. But this time is an internal dispute, not an external dispute. A dispute arises among them as to who will be the greatest among them in the kingdom. What brings about a dispute like this is that they are still, they still very much misunder, uh, under the impression, I should say, that the kingdom will be some earthly form of government. So Jesus responds to them by giving them a variety of teachings. We want to give you four of them right now. First of all, he teaches them that the childlike, that a childlike attitude is needed to enter and stay in the kingdom. Think about that. A childlike attitude is needed to enter the kingdom and to stay in the kingdom. Number two, he tells them about the dangers of making a child of God lose their faith or leading a child of God into sin. Number three, he gives them a discourse on how to deal with a dispute among brethren. And again, it's in stages. You go to that person alone. You talk to them. If that doesn't work, you bring along another brother and talk to them. If that doesn't work, you tell the church. And it can go on a little bit farther than that as well. Um, I know sometimes from experience, even when you try to seek forgiveness, a person doesn't want to give it to you. I know sometimes when you try to forgive someone, they don't want to hear it. So when I find myself in a situation like that, I go to the next stage, and it's what God said. And I use that mindset. As much as depends on me, I'm going to be at peace with all men. You don't have to accept my apology and say you forgive me. You don't have to allow me to forgive you. As much as depends on me, 
I'm going to be at peace with all people. If you ask me, can you live with that if I tell you I won't accept your forgiveness? Yes, I can because I tried. I am not going to hang on this bag, hang on to this baggage with you because that's what you want me to do. Life is too short. Stuff like that can bring you down. So all of these teachings are to try to make them understand that try to make them understand that relationships in the kingdom are not based on being great through power. It's not based on being great through control. So what is it based on then? It's based on three things. Love, mercy, and service. That's what it's based on. Mark asked that they also wanted to condemn others who were working in Jesus' name but not part of their group. And Jesus restrains them saying the following, that if you're with Jesus, you are with his followers as well. With this, Jesus' northern ministry will be coming to a close. He will make more trips south until that last week, that last week of his life, that he will spend in the city where three things, four things will happen. He will be rejected. He will be condemned. He will be crucified. And he will be resurrected. So there are two lessons I want us to try and get from this study today. And the first lesson is this right here. Understanding comes after faith. So, turn this over to you guys for a second. Understanding comes after faith. Any thoughts on that? Okay, that's fair. How about this? Let's go back to what we're looking at here with the apostles. Note that every time the apostles ex- note that every time the apostles express their faith in progressive degrees. We go back to when Christ Jesus first started his ministry. They followed Jesus. Then they stayed with him as others rejected him. They actually acknowledged him as Messiah. And what we find is Jesus rewarded them with a clearer vision of who he was. Each time they obeyed and walked by faith, he rewarded that faith with a great miracle, a vision, a confirmation that their faith was valid. And it's the same with us today. We don't get understanding and then we believe. You know, we told faith comes by hearing, right? Okay. So we believe. So, um, so it works the other way around. First, I believe. I obey. I grow in my understanding and reassurance that what I believe is true. I'm more sure now of God's forgiveness. I'm more sure now of God's promise that the Holy Spirit will come upon me or come within me today than I was the day that I believed and the day that I was baptized. 
he has rewarded God has rewarded my original faith number two unity to the head equals unity to the body the apostles didn't want anyone the apostles didn't want anyone claiming Jesus unless they were part of their group Jesus said if you're united with me you're united with the body it also works in reverse if you're not united to the body you're not united to the head Jesus died for the church he died for his body and union with him automatically means union with the church you can't separate the two we thank you all for being here this morning. Um, unfortunately, the uh, reading for next week is not on the table yet. I will have that out this evening when, I, when evening service starts. So uh, you all have a moment to fellowship before we uh, go into our service. And we want to take this opportunity at this time to go ahead and thank Brother Stephen for filling in for Tony today. Thank you.